Hello and welcome to The Fellowship Face, an Adventures in Middle-Earth podcast. I'm Josh and that's Callum. And that is Brendan. We're going to give you inside information on how to find your own path through Tolkien's world. The sun, a pale and watery yellow, was gleaming through the mist just above the west wall of the hollow in which they lay. North, south and east, beyond the wall, the fog was thick, cold and white. The air was silent, heavy and chill. Even as they looked out in dismay towards the setting sun, it sank before their eyes into a white sea, and a cold grey shadow sprung up in the east behind. The fog rolled up to the walls and rose above them, and as it mounted, it bent over their heads until it became a roof. They were shut in a hall of mist, whose central pillar was the standing stone. Hello. 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 Welcome, Brendan. Hello, Callum. It's nice to be back, unless, uh, well, depending on the order you're putting these episodes out, it's nice to be here for the first time. (laughs) Yes. When are the episodes going out, or how are they going out, or why are they going out, or who are they going out? Nobody knows. I certainly don't know. But it's nice to be here. It is, and it's particularly when the weather is so nice today and i know that you're segueing into the episode but the weather actually is very nice so it's it is yeah yeah actually not nice where i am it was a lie (laughs) (laughs) it was really sunny this morning and then i went to work and i sat inside a windowless room all day and i was looking forward all day to going outside in the sun and then i ran into some people as i was about to go outside and i was like oh i'm really looking forward to going to the sun and they they were just they just looked very sad for me it's always sunny in dunbar so it is always sunny in Philadelphia, and it's never sunny in Barovia. I have actually been unwell, so I have been looking at the good weather out my window, like Robert Louis Stevenson looking out his window, be more creative. That's that's how I've justified to myself, sitting inside and not doing anything. I didn't write a novel, though. I, I just play video games. <laughs> <laughs> and how is the weather in the wilds, Brendan? Uh, in the wilds, the weather is very nice. Yeah. There's actually only one cloud in the sky, which is a bit, a bit unusual. And that cloud doesn't fill the whole sky. So that's also nice. Is it a cloud or is it Crowbane from Dunbar? Well, it is moving fast and against the wind. So um, I'll, I'll let you know as the situation develops. So why are we talking about the weather? Because we're British. But, but really, why are we talking about the weather? Well, we're talking about the weather because we're going to use this opportunity to talk about how weather and terrain can make your combat more interesting in Adventures of Middle Earth. Yeah, and by the end, hopefully you'll know whether you agree with us on this or not. That was a truly awful pun. Um... <laughs> I don't even know if I want to stay here for the rest of this. Let's just power through, Brendan. Sometimes I have to just let them wash over me. Um, <laughs> oh, we're going to talk rain. about... Talk about terrain and talk about weather. Now, we've talked on and off about uh, what makes combat and aim great. And we've touched on some of this before, but I think there are a lot of lessons in for lore masters in particular of how you can add extra dimensions into combat with 
either your maps or if you do theatre of the mind in the way you articulate the terrain, particularly whether that has any mechanical effect on the battle and also things like weather conditions, uh, which come into play sometimes during a journey and also during combat. Uh, and this is, I think, a good way to differentiate between different battles, even if you might be fighting the same type of enemies. Or indeed, if you actually are fighting literally the same enemies, perhaps in some kind of um, sequel battle, uh, you can mix it up with some terrain or with some weather. So let's talk about terrain first. You two have both run Adventures in Middle-earth and have used terrain um, in your battles to, to good effect. So what kinds of things could people be thinking about as terrain that they would use in a battle? Well, I suppose that um, the first thing that kind of comes to mind is that in any given kind of terrain situation, there are going to be things which give one side or the other an advantage. Depend, I suppose, thinking about kind of what the objectives are for each side, but you know that a kind of a narrow terrain, like a gorge or something, is going to be going to be more advantageous for people who want to kind of stand firm and maybe kind of make a defensive line. So often that's quite good for a party, I feel, kind of having a defensive position on mm -hmm. the plane that you give people. It can um, really give people hope where there is none. Like if you, if it feels like an overwhelming situation and then you give people like a, a, a strong, you know, feel like they can make decisions, narrative choices that give them advantages, you know, that's what you, what you want to do in games. And maybe in D&D, you do that by, you know, having a spell or using that to, to give yourself some advantage, you know, you change the terrain and you modify it. Whereas in this low magic setting, there's, there's very few ways in which you can like heavily influence the world around you very quickly. So um, putting those in, in front of people becomes much more important, I think. Can I draw an, an example from a game that you ran, Callum? And it was a relatively early one. And basically we were traveling through the wilds and we were being stalked by a pack of wargs and they kept getting closer and closer and closer. And it was really tense because we knew that there were many more wargs than us and they were potentially quite dangerous. But basically that we'd, we'd kind of, you know, may, maybe this was very subtle lore mastering from Callum and, and we we're being steered in that direction. It made for this kind of rocky outcrop um, so that we could get this kind of narrow, um, it was was kind of a ravine that we could go down, yeah. that we could have some kind of defence against this mass number of wards. And it suddenly made, I don't think we felt hopeful, but it turned a situation where we, where that kind of, that sense of, of, of dread and was quite, getting quite big and our chances of success felt very, very low into feeling like it was something that we could could manage. I think that's a big theme of Tolkien's work, isn't it? Like over and over again, it's situations that feel hopeless and then hope is is rekindled through one way or the other. And replicating that can be can, can be really useful. I love I love doing that when I'm designing uh, a, a journey, which is the core of the game, really is like thinking about routes and giving people options like well you can go you know i think there was one recently you were going to the western andrew and vales and i don't even remember this one josh and you, you you could either go like there's like a forested route or you could follow the river and yes, I as i was doing it i was thinking it like you know i had battle mats prepared for both and i was thinking 
and I guess when you're describing things, particularly people who are like wanderers and they've got these skills, these people that would really know the wilds, kind of laying out like what the potential advantages and disadvantages, like, well, you might be yeah. easier to find your way this way, you might be better hidden, but there it might be more defensive. And then mm. translating that into combat. So like, I know I guess the terrain has, we're talking about it specifically in the context of, of combat, but it, it has such a big impact in so many parts of the game. And it's so evocatively shot in the in the places around New Zealand, some of which mm. I've been able to, to visit and it's just been like, wow, um, these sort of, you know, the, the barren, rocky uh, plains of Rohan or, you know, the, uh, the, the Anduin River and all these sort of, you know, it, I think not only does it make combat more interesting and make journeys more interesting, but it is a big part of how you're sort of bringing people into that world and selling it, I guess. I think that that kind of setting up, setup that you outlined there for, um, for combat, where every journey to choice has got a trade-off in it. And I think that there's yeah. something quite interesting about that in as it applies to combat. And I'm, I'm thinking of another scenario that you you did, that we were, um, we were out to the east of Mirkwood, and we were on a kind of a very far, actually, we were really near to the 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 Selder and the river running in the middle of these kind of the grass open, open plains. And we were being tracked by a party of mounted uh, soldiers. And basically the, the, the choice really kind of came down to, do we try and make it back to Mirkwood and try and fight them in the eaves of Mirkwood, face them in the eaves of Mirkwood where their cavalry is not going to have such a strong advantage over us. Even though that doing that journey and trying to beat them there, we're going to be risking exhaustion. Or do we stick where we are? We know that we're, you know, we're not going to be exhausted. We're going to be in a better shape maybe to do the fight. But the terrain is really going to be against us. So I, I thought that was a really, really interesting kind of, Neither was a great choice. <laughs> yeah. And that made it really tense. That's what makes a good board game. And it, I think it applies in RPGs is making people have to make interesting to, to choices, but necessarily, you know, weighing up the, the risks and benefits. And you see that a lot in, you know, in Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, where, you know, a lot of the decisions come down to decisions between between bad thing and often those are to the terrain you know like this really snowy pass or this very dangerous cave or you know coming out of the east gate of moria and they're, they're making it very clear that like you know we have to press on because we can't fight goblins out here we need to get to the the safety mm -hmm. of the forest um you know being on the river and and that being you know so all these sort of decisions are are re really important um so yeah i think that's the the why of it yeah, and I think some examples, and the Gorge one is a good one, because one thing I like about terrain is that it does give, can give one side a significant advantage, which is fun, because when battles are a little unbalanced for one reason or another, it can it can change the odds. What I also really like is that because it can give one side an advantage, it can let a low-level party fight potentially much more dangerous yeah. enemies than they normally would. So, for instance, our party fighting a large group of wargs. Mm. In the open, we couldn't, and it wouldn't have been a realistic encounter, whereas we got to feel 
very heroic and exciting yeah. because we got to fight a lot of them. But actually, with the advantage of the terrain, it, it was more balanced. And I actually think the flip side, the same kind of terrain, much, much later on, uh, we'd left Mount Gundabad and we were um, we were heading to, to Rivendell and we were a much stronger party at this point. And we we had to go through a gorge and we had similar narrative decisions of whether we do it during the daytime, whether we do it at nighttime, whether we'd sneak or not. And we were ambushed by goblins in the gorge. Now, at the level we were at, we just fought loads of orcs and we, we had magic items. We were quite powerful. Fighting goblins was not particularly challenging. However, because the way you'd set up the terrain, it was a very narrow, very steep gorge. They were high up. They had rocks. They had cover. They were firing down on us. And we were really torn because our objective wasn't just to kill them all. It was to, to get through this gorge. We were really torn about whether or not we should stand and fight. That made it really challenging for us, I think, in deciding what to do. We ended up trying to run through the chasm. And actually, Halmir, who had an AC of, of 21, actually was knocked unconscious by goblins firing arrows down on him. And you managed to take <laughs> what should have been quite a straightforward encounter into really quite an exciting one. And it was because mm. of the terrain. We couldn't get to them easily. Yeah. You were forcing us to make different choices. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a good example of being able to make things unbalanced in a way that gives you a bit of fun to play with. I was so glad you did that because I'd set, set up this whole narrative and – you know, I, I, there, there was a choice. You could have gone like to the west and around, around Mount Graham um, yeah. and, you know, like really into Angmar, but it would have added a lot of time into your journey. You would have had different dangers. You're being stalked by some sort of strange spirit, spirit type figure. And, um, and then right at the end of that, there was a whole bit where you like crossed over a river and then the little rangers kind of popped out and helped you. And they use the terrain to their advantage. Yes. Um, mm. So, yeah, that. Yeah, that's a good example of 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 where the enemies made it. You know, it was much more challenging because of the terrain. Mm. Can we talk a bit about then the mechanics of terrain actually in a battlefield? Because yeah. there are some mechanics already baked into the rules. Mm -hmm. uh, the one I'm thinking of is cover, which is a fairly straightforward mechanic, which is uh, it offers you an AC boost if you're in different degrees mm. of cover, uh, and that applies both to you as as player characters and also to to monsters that you're fighting so that feels like the kind of the baseline example of terrain rules which is you you make sure that the the terrain the map has features that can allow people to take cover maybe it's um, a wall or a hedge or some rocks or you can become more and more complicated if you're fighting in some kind of a, a castle or a ravine there are other examples of terrain has mechanical rules or times that we've used rules with the players to say you know if you want to tackle this piece of terrain it's going to require you to do xyz yeah so in the lore master's guides they they lay out a whole lot of different like uh, settings and the type of terrain you might meet and some proposed mechanics for how that would work so to give some example of things that you fought in so uh, bogs are good ones yeah. so they difficult terrain so you get half movement and i think difficult terrain feels like quite a small thing but then you look at things like um was it entangle in mm. D, you know like actually they can have a real impact if you're moving at half speed and maybe the enemies aren't you know maybe yeah. nimble or or goblins that are running across or you know that they've got some way of of mitigating that that can make a fight really mm -hmm. hard 
Um, other things are like cliffs. So in this, and I actually don't think I've ever used this. They suggest that if you're climbing a cliff, then it takes an entire movement action to climb 10 feet of height and climbers have a minus two to AC when suffering a ranged attack. So making it quite interesting. interesting. <laughs> and also if you're at the top of a, a cliff, you can use a shove action to push someone off it. Which I think you don't need that written down, but we've done it. Yeah, uh, Halmir's done that before. He's used the shove action to to push someone. It, it wasn't actually off a cliff. It was a it was a kind of sloping hill, and he mm. was involved in a brawl at the top, and he actually pushed someone down the hill because uh, mm. he was kind of ganged up on. But that again was a fun way of um, of adding the terrain to get to give the players more options. Climbing is always an interesting one because taking the high ground uh, mm. is obviously very important. Um, getting to high ground can often then be a challenge and i think a good lore master makes it a challenge you give the option that okay there is good cover up there and with that high ground you'll you'll have a good view of the battlefield but the cliff or the rocky outcrop whatever it is is big enough that you're going to need to use your action to get up there and again you're giving the players a choice you can use your action to climb it in which case mm. you're not getting to attack or do something else but if you do you then have the advantages of more cover, potentially better range. Mm. Maybe there's an objective that you're looking to to reach, which is up on the the cliff. So I think it's again another way of putting choices in front of the players. Yeah, there's a couple of other like little things that I, I actually um, read, every time we talk about something and we read it again, I'm like, oh, this is giving me. <laughs> so um, thick mud, uh, you get minus one to attack rolls if you're fighting in thick mud. It's quite cool. Uh, if you're on a slope, then if you're higher up on the slope, you get advantage. People lower down get disadvantage if it's. Uh, I think we have used that one before. Yeah, we've definitely yeah. used that. Uh, bracken, that's difficult. It's just difficult to train. No, thicket. Sorry, I'm getting confused between bracket and thicket. How could I? How could I? Uh, thicket, <laughs> close growing strands of trees. Range attack through a thicket are made at disadvantage, even at close range, and you can't make long, long range attacks. Like bringing the mechanics of the different ranges and weapons, which can that's interesting. Be... There's not many many interactions between those two things. No, it's normally just disadvantage. Um, and then there's some of the ones are like in Merkwood specifically, they've got things like poisonous fumes from different mushrooms. Mm -hmm. And I, when we were in Gundabad, I loved like that. I found stuff in one of the ice modules for Gundabad, which is like a, an older was it from the eighties yeah. playing game? And they had this whole table of different mushrooms. And I, every time you were going through it, I was like, roll a dice. And then it'd be like really vivid description of mushrooms. Oh. And then you'd all be like, we're going to ignore it. And I'm like, no. <laughs> the whole thing wouldn't have been so much of an issue if there wasn't a member of our party who was desperate to collect all of the mushrooms. They, could yeah, they were quite dangerous. <laughs> Asking for trouble. Who picks a mushroom in a goblin cave, eh? Oh, you got to push the big red button or the big <laughs> red mushroom. <laughs> Um, I, I, there's something that I was going to say that I think that one of the things mechanically, one of the strongest mechanics that we found, I'm sure you guys have talked this about before, um, in the game in combat is the flanking mechanic. Yep. Where you've got people on both sides of someone. And so they both get advantage on, on combat against that person. So th that is really, really powerful. And yep. the ability to, to get that or to deny that is really really important and can really really swing combat 
Um, so I suppose just thinking about the the way that that plays into how open or not yes. Yes. is, so that you can kind of, as a as a lawmaster, you can control how often that scenario is liable to come up by, you know, if you make a closed, a relatively closed, either, you know, it's something like a ravine or there's lots of different terrain elements in it, you're going to make flanking much harder. Whereas if you've got a much more open field, then, then you're going to be in the opposite situation. Yeah, I think I think you're spot on with that. And that is something we're, we're talking a lot about how as a lore master, because the lore master is the one who will choose the maps and generally will be the one who kind of spawns the, the, the combats and the encounters. We've talked a lot about how when you're running the game, you can use terrain, but players use terrain as well. Mm. And I actually think if you lore master well, it encourages players to look for opportunities to use terrain. And yeah. that's when they really are having fun. And an example, talking of flanking there, Brendan, when we were in Gundabad, um, there were, Calum, you did a good job of describing how narrow some of the passages were and also how populated it was with orcs. Often we were dodging between patrols or we felt we were being chased. And because you had established running the game that there were mechanical benefits and disadvantages to things like flanking or cover we were always looking for those opportunities mm -hmm. i remember a time mm -hmm. when we knew we were being chased and we were like we're not we cannot outrun them we're gonna have to stand and fight but because you'd really made it very clear throughout that there was terrain and described it we were like right what we can do is we'll find <laughs> a choke point and we'll position ourselves so that we will guarantee ourselves get flanking but only one of them can get through and we mm. positioned archers in such a way that they were in cover and it made the the encounter we almost designed the encounter ourselves yeah. as players because we were like oh we want to look for an opportunity to flank we don't want to get flanked we want to have cover and that made it had your uh, we also had your giant shield we had uh, yes two giant shields and we we're like these these need to be front and center we want to make sure that it's the shields taking the hits no one else and it was great fun because it meant again we fought some orcs which is in Adventures of Middle-earth, pretty common type of combat. But that particular encounter felt completely unique because of the terrain. That was the thing that was different yeah. to the previous times we'd done it. I love that. Uh, the whole stuff around like flanking as a rule, you know, we've, we've talked about this quite a few times because it's an optional extra rule that's very powerful. And we've ended up just leaving it as advantage. There's just various debates on Reddit about, you know, do you have it? Do you not? Do you just you modify it? And one of my slight um, um, quibbles with the, the rules for terrain is that a lot of things end up giving you advantage or disadvantage, and mm. it very quickly gets sort of negated out and no longer relevant. You know, so, you know, because you can get it with flanking quite easily, does that undermine other things that give you advantage or disadvantage? I'm not sure. And I think it is fine. But I guess the key thing is that, you know, there, there are suggested mechanics in Lore Master's book if you're lucky enough to have it. And they are good inspiration. But I would say the majority of time, it's sort of just either you can just use rules like difficult terrain, the cover mechanics, and, mm -hmm. you know, common sense. But it's also like people are just like, you know, so say there's, there's some rules for like unstable walls and saying that like if there's an unstable wall, you can push it onto someone else and then they take 2D then budgeting damage if they fail deck save. And I love that they're like 
suggesting those things because it can be a good inspiration but i don't think you necessarily need to stick to the rules and certainly do that a lot like you know you're in a situation you know maybe there's a tree that's standing there that's like looks like if you describe the terrain well then Mm -hmm. players will come up with interesting ideas of what to do like oh i can push something off that or you know i could push that Mm -hmm. onto them or maybe if i climb this tree then i'll get some Mm -hmm. sort of advantage and i generally am like very like that's what i want people to do is make creative decisions interesting choices that that feed the narrative so someone's like um trying to think of an example of what what, where someone's come up with an interesting idea to do a terrain we've done traps before like almost improvised traps either with with ropes or nets or harkening back to talk about the siege at stonyford we dug pit traps yeah. um, and effectively you improvised or applied some some trap mechanics yeah. into there's the, actually the rules comp- in here for pits which i didn't didn't read before uh, <laughs> oh actually no maybe i did i think that's where i got the, the rules covered pit and uh pits and stuff so yeah there are there are rules in the lower master's guide well, so let's not beat ourselves up about not knowing every rule there aren't that many games that require multiple textbooks worth of rule there's a reason there's a book we don't need to know all of them all the time <laughs> but yeah, i, I also think that, that we didn't i don't think we suffered from from you not knowing that specific rule but i i think it is really important to reward players for interacting in, with the environment i think yes. the environment is there to be an inspiration and if they if they find ways of using it you know great that's yeah. amazing and also i think that's like a, a good way of running the game is to make it like you don't have to say to people you know like well if you take the cover then it'd be better you know you don't want to like put ideas directly to people's heads but like as you, you was it was it the um josh you said that matt Caldwell says he says oh like, he reward the players about... for playing the game the way you want them to play it or something like that yeah right? yeah reward them for the for when they do the things that the game is supposed to be about so in terms of ventures middle earth making tactical decisions that people in tolkien's world might have made they should be rewarded so yeah. seeking cover you get a mechanical benefit you yeah. get extra um ac if you yeah, hide behind that rock yeah. Yeah, I'm, so I'm definitely up for operant conditioning when it comes to players. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I think it's also like nice to be like if people say like, if I do this, what will happen? And all you don't even need to know. You can just say like, yeah, I'll, there'll be an advantage to that, or there'll be some sort of mechanical benefit. So like, you know, you don't need to explain exactly. You don't need to like peel back the layers and say like, well, if you you know jump up there, then you'll get plus one to your stealth. <laughs> But like, you know, usually when you're doing checks or rolls, then there may be there may be a DC for checks. So like I, I can I just interrupt for the listeners and say that that is the voice that Callum does when he's uh, explaining what <laughs> it's incredibly <laughs> off-putting. Um it's the narrator's voice. Being open to just to cut you off briefly there, Callum. <laughs> being open as the lore master or dungeon master to your player's creativity fosters more of it yeah because once you if someone says "Ooh, i'd like to and you can't be thinking of everything all the time the players often come up with things you've never thought of you've not prepped they'll be like actually could i scale this wall with you know with with this um i'm gonna what i want to do is lash that tree together to make a kind of improvised ladder to climb up the side of this building you think i don't know what the rules are going to be for this but Mm. if i don't say no and i either make a quick 
judgment on the fly or I apply similar rules. I just abstract them onto this. It will encourage them to keep thinking creatively, creatively, mm. which means they help you make the encounters more fun because you can describe the environment yeah. and already in their head, they're like, oh, well, actually, yeah, this is a castle. We could attack the front door, but we know that Callum will reward us if we think intelligently about this. Maybe we can sneak around the back. Maybe there's another gate. Maybe we can set a trap. We can lure them out. Yeah. Right, I, I love the scribe side to that, uh, if you don't mind. And um, this isn't, I hope this isn't pulling back the curtain too much, but sometimes when you're playing a game or and you're kind of DMing or, or lore mastering a game and the players will <clears throat> be prepping for a combat encounter and they'll be like, right, so the most likely thing is that they're going to try and sneak attack us from behind through that, through this kind of area of terrain. And as a lore master, you go, yeah, that's much better than what I had planned. Yes, yeah. <laughs> that is how they're going to do it. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, because yeah, I'm very, I'm very keen on um, you know using your your players' ideas and um, and stealing them if they're better. You know, it's the same with a puzzle. You know, if you design a puzzle and you've got an idea in mind of how to solve it, we need to talk about that at some point separately. But if they come up with a better solution, and you're like, yeah, okay, that's that was the solution. I was just yeah, that's more fun. So, yeah. I would never do that, of course. I, my puzzles are perfectly planned. Um, <laughs> never improvise anything. So, uh, yeah, I guess that's that's terrain. Is there anything else to, to say about terrain? Any? I was just going to say that the, one of the other things that is important to think about from a, um, a terrain point of view is about the way that that interacts with monsters and their monster abilities. Mm. The, the kind of all of these are pieces that kind of click together. I suppose I had in mind thinking about like um, goblins and some goblins have that spider climb ability that they can climb up mm -hmm. surfaces so that well-defended kind of tightly knit, you know, kind of ravines or castles, which would be safe with other monsters, would be a, you know, a defensive point, suddenly become a much more vulnerable point because the players can't just climb at walls like little spiders yeah yeah things that you might be like we're safe here this isn't and then you can use the terrain to your advantage if you ever play minecraft then you know that the spiders can climb the walls so you have to build things of an overhang to stop them getting in there or have other defenses like a fence i guess does that work i can't remember well you'll have to save it for your minecraft podcast yeah, minecraft. they call it a mine craft <laughs> <laughs> It was worth it just for this. It's related. Uh, someone made all of Lord of the Rings in Minecraft. I really want to try it. Right. So, yes, the there's there's lots of different things. So unstable stalactites, uh, rotten trees that might fall over at any time, uh, rock pillars, terrible stench, the stench of death, freezing pools, webs, windowed walls. There's loads of stuff. And the other place that I take inspiration for, for rules about terrain is from the Middle Earth strategy battle game, Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah. Warhammer. Mm -hmm. like, they've got some really interesting stuff around the mechanics of terrain. And I think that's quite a useful place to like go and get some inspiration from as well. I'd, I'd second that. I really like their, their terrain rules. Yeah. The last piece of terrain, which then leads us a bit into the elements that I wanted to mention was um, water and rivers. Um, rivers are a really good example of terrain you can use because 
I think it helps that it's something that it's nothing fantastical. It's something that the players already understand that the water is flowing in a particular direction. It's dangerous to get into the water. And you know, if something falls in, it's likely to be swept in a particular direction. That adds an interesting element to it. Um, I think we've used that to good effect when we did Stony Ford, um, defending the Ford. Uh, and we've talked before about the North Ford, where we've had multiple battles and the impact of the rapids there. So I think water, running water, the depth of water as well, whether or not characters can swim, um, is a good example of using the, the environment and, and elements to good effect. Um, weather being the other one. Um, rain, fog, snow, <laughs> there's plenty that we've encountered. Um, and how does the Lord Master's Guide tackle that? Just on the point of water, I was just having an idea there that I think that the uh, Hobbits uh, characters should get like disadvantage on swim tests because of all the stuff written about like they don't, they're not comfortable in the water unless they're specific. <laughs> yeah. Is it Stewers? I can't remember which. Yeah, I feel, I feel like it is Stewers that are, are, are good on the water. And then I think men of Lake Town gets some, there's a culture. Yeah, they get specific. Can take. Yeah. Mm. And actually it's come up quite a lot because Halmir, one of the characters, is is has grown up and in, in been in the, you know, sort of in the water all his life and swimming. And, you know, it's actually a big, big part of it, maybe a big part in the future. So how does it cover the weather in the in the lore master's guide they um they have a similar section just next to terrain which is all about um weather mm -hmm. um and they give weather rules for freezing cold uh strong gales thick fog the war warm golden sun uh and there's also some atmospheric effects which i don't think i've ever read before the incessant buzzing of insects gives mm -hmm. disadvantage on ability checks and attack rolls until the insects are dealt with um, yeah so for example some of them so gale strong wind range attacks are made at disadvantage that makes sense um freezing cold uh, or torrential downpour or blizzard um that means that creatures without shelter from the weather suffer disadvantage to attack rolls and ability checks which is you know pretty broad thick fog you're dealt with having the blinded condition which i think is again quite quite harsh um, I tend to rule it a bit more leniently. I'm trying to think of examples of when weather in the in the books in the film, like weather is a huge part of it, isn't it? Like when there's a mist rolling in, like, and mist and fog can be a force for both good and evil. You know, I'm thinking of like the Barrow Downs. Big. So I mean, the Barrow Downs. Obviously, the the fog there is is kind of an unnatural fog that causes the hobbits to get lost and then end up, rather than travelling out of the Barrow Downs, they're travelling further in yeah. until they eventually end up at a barrow. Whoops. <laughs> so that's super magical. And then I'm thinking, like, not in the Lord of the Rings, but, you know, it, when when it's the battle of the... When Errol the Young, who's like the sort of original Rohan, you know, the first person to settle what became Noah's Rohan, and when he rides south to, I think it's Kyrian, uh, who's the king of Kyrian is the, the um, he's the steward. He's the steward, and he he rides south to meet them, and he wouldn't have made it in time. But the the story goes that Galadriel kind of forms as magical mist and they ride and they're not sure about it at first the riders it's uncertain but it it basically 
and it's very abstract in the way that Tolkien does mm. magic, but they manage to arrive in time. And I think the idea is that that sort of like helps them along their way and, and moves them. So it's, I guess, you know, what I like about that is that it's not like fog is evil weather, rain is, is bad. So, you know, there is a, there's definitely like a, the sun is good and darkness mm. is, is, is bad, but mm. maybe there's a bit more nuance in it sometimes. Yeah. Gandalf using think, the sun for the to, to defeat the trolls. Well, sun sunlight as I mean, environmental effects, light and dark is a really big part of the mechanical yeah. rules. Obviously, you've got things like dark vision, um, which uh, you can really play with requiring light sources and the impact of that. And as we talked about, orcs and goblins get disadvantage making attacks in daylight. Yeah which is another environmental situation which rewards or punishes the players. So I think players know this, characters know this about orcs, is that they are not good in daylight. And that affects your decision about whether or not you're going to attack, whether you want to stand and fight, if it's nighttime. Yeah. That's another environmental condition which which has a clear effect. And I think can really you could fight the same group of orcs in daytime and nighttime, and it would be a very different battle just yeah. because of that one mechanic. It's always the daytime, nighttime, I think, <clears throat> probably in our campaigns more so than any other weather effect has been a significant factor all the time. Because I think almost all, I mean, mainly orcs, but almost all creatures of um, of the shadow are worse during the day, a little less powerful during the day and more powerful at night. And we talked before about kind of that choosing between two, two options, both with dis- disadvantages, but there's always that debate of if it's night, do we find a way to to avoid combat until it's day? Or, you know, if it's if it's day, do we want to force a battle now? Because it'll be worse if they come on us when it's night. So it, I think it that is a really, really big factor. And um really in terms of it from a kind of player point of view, really, really big in terms of decision making. I tend to, when I prep battle maps, I try and like make a light and a dark copy of it, or like I'll just apply a filter on roll 20 to the thing to make it darker. Um, Cause I think that kind of sells it. And I, I guess part of the nighttime thing that, that comes into the weather is also decisions you make. It's like, well, do we light a fire? Because, you know, some creatures yeah. are afraid of the fire. We'll be able to see, you know, some types types of characters may have a degree of dark vision like dwarfs and elves but it's not quite the same as D's dark vision it's not like you can just see in the dark it's um it's it's still really good but it's not mm. quite as um ridiculous but yeah that sort of that's a, a common debate is whether you light a fire or not and what impacts that will have and whether you- it'll mean that other people see you and uh suddenly the enemies will know you where you are yeah we had that in Gundabad a lot, I remember, with torches, whether or not we should take them. And we had this constant debate of, well, it's hard to be stealthy if we're carrying around torches, particularly because the orcs don't really need them. So it'll really draw attention. But then we were like, if we don't have them, they can see better in the dark than we can. So we we kind of give up any advantage that we have. So in the end, we decided we would use torches kind of intermittently. And it was always quite tense. Um and yeah, I think environmental factors giving you extra choice. That's really what it's about, isn't it? It's about layering on more and more choices. You take a normal battle between the party and some orcs. You're like, okay, that can be fun the first time. You're going to fight orcs again. We'll add in some terrain. 
and mm. add in an environmental effect, whether it's day or night, or it's rain, mm. or uh, there's some um, poisonous bog or something, and suddenly you've got an entirely different combat. And I think just adding in more and more, because there's not really a limit to how many you can mm. you can layer in. A mixture of terrain and weather and daytime, nighttime, mm. you can have a whole cocktail of, um, of, mm. of battles. And like you say, Callum, ones that if the players have a sense that these are options to fight daytime or nighttime or location, the players can feel that they partly contributed to that sort of state of the state of the combat, state mm-hmm. of the battle. And I wonder if like we talk a lot about aim and like, you know, the, the, these sort of things being more important in D and D, but I was just thinking there that maybe there is something about bringing that back into other role playing games where like, obviously you have other options, but like sometimes, you know, because, people are so powerful and there is magic this isn't in there as much and then maybe some abilities so like the ranger for example was you know famously um felt to be uh less powerful and with um tasha's cauldron and everything updates it has become something that's a bit more powerful but a lot of their mechanics revolve around terrain and travel and so on and almost if you kind of take the mentality of of this and the rules from aim into D would that become, you know, a big part of their their class feature? Because, you know, there are certain, like, I don't know about you when you're playing player, uh, making characters, but I certainly, like, sometimes I look at ability and I'm like, that's cool, but I don't know if it'll ever come up or it'll be highly mm-hmm. situational if that is ever a factor. Whereas an aim, I feel like because the focus is much smaller, that most abilities do come up. Occasionally you're like, you know, been playing a character for five levels and you're like, oh, I completely forgot about this ability. I can't remember what it was, but recently someone mm-hmm. someone brought that up and I was like, what's that ability? And they're like, I've had it since like level two and I forgot about it. <laughs> so, yeah, mm-hmm. read your character sheet, I guess. So what have we learned then? We've learned that because it's a low magic setting, that we want to give the players as much to play with in the world as possible i guess that's what it comes down to really isn't it you want to make sure there are many different variables as possible to mix it up so that it keeps things different for them and that you're constantly kind of giving them choices and the lore master's guide if you're lucky enough to get hold of it does have a good selection of of weather mm-hmm. of terrain and of traps and if you can't get hold of it because the books are hard now um the Dungeon Master's Guide is very good for traps from from fifth edition, uh, and there's a whole host of material online for for weather conditions and actually importing stuff from other games. Like you say, often um, tabletop games, war games have good weather conditions that you can just port in. Mm-hmm. Um, so do it. Don't be afraid to throw stuff at the players. I think. Yeah, you can improvise things. Like we've done that with like ice conditions and snow. You know make a dex check if you fail the dex check you fall over like it's it's sort of just you can just mm. abstract from what happens in real life isn't it so you don't need to be constrained it's great to have rules for inspiration but don't feel constrained by them you don't need to have the rules necessarily to introduce weather and terrain into your setting i think the just just to say that i think that um that weather and terrain and these kind of additional elements to combat really adds a huge amount of depth to the way that it feels that it, it makes it feel more more like a world you know that mm. you know that there's that wherever you go that the things will be a bit different 
that there'll be mm-hmm. kind of different things. Your slightly terrain slightly constrains you, but it also means that every place that you fight feels like a place. It feels unique. It feels like there's something about it that makes it different yeah. from everywhere else in the world. No emails except on party business. And comments, suggestions, and questions to the fellowship phase at gmail.com. The long year turns to its close. Much we have accomplished these last seasons. Our fellowship disbands, but is not broken, and we will return. On the next episode of the fellowship phase.